Our scripture reading this morning comes from the fourth chapter of Mark, verses 35 through 41. Hear now the word of our Lord. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, The other day I went... uh, down sort of a, uh, a YouTube hole. Um, it's kind of one of those situations where you watch one clip and then you watch another clip and uh, pretty soon it's been an hour and you've gotten nothing done. Um, and one of the clips I watched uh, really spoke to me. It was a, uh, it was a televangelist, a, a pretty famous televangelist, and uh, he was speaking and he was um, explaining to his congregation uh, why he needed those uh, private jets uh, that they paid for. And he said, you know, when you get up in the air in a commercial airliner, you can't really pray uh, because they're so oppressive. Uh, He described airplanes as an oppressive steel tube filled with demons. Now, I don't need a private jet, uh, but I kind of get his point. I think they prefer to be called flag attendants to demons, but I I, I get where he's going. Um, It does feel oppressive, but I have never had trouble praying in an airplane. Um, I usually uh, pray um, during takeoff. I usually pray during landing, and I usually pray without ceasing in between. Um, I don't really like to fly. I do it once a year when we go to El Salvador, but I sort of have to gird myself up to do it. The first year we went to El Salvador with the, uh, with the church, I hadn't flown since I was in high school. And I was very nervous. And it was the same summer of that um, whole Malaysian airline thing where the plane went missing over the Indian Ocean. And so I had that in the back of my head. And um, I sat in this row uh, where I got to stretch my feet out. Uh, but I found out that that meant I had extra responsibilities um, if, if the plane were about to go down. It was going to be my job to direct people to exits and, and all, of, all of this stuff. And so I had to watch very intently this uh, safety video about all the things I was going to be responsible for um, if, uh, if it all broke loose. Halfway through our flight, um, the lights go out. And the, uh, the, the seatbelt light comes on. And the plane starts shaking. And there's like 
flashes of lightning in the windows. Um, I hear uh, booms of thunder, and um, I, I, I'm terrified. Uh, and uh, my adrenaline spiking, my heart is racing. I look out the window to see if the wings are still there, and I can't see anything for the rain. And I think, Lord, this is it. This is how it all ends on my way to El Salvador. And, uh, and, and the captain comes on the, the loudspeaker and says, we're experiencing turbulence. Yeah, yeah, we are. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that that's the kind of thing they have to say, right? Like we could be uh, going uh, nose down into the Atlantic Ocean and they'd say we were experiencing turbulence. But I look over at the rest of the team. Everyone seems nerv- nervous like I am. Everyone's hyper aware except for one guy, a guy named Bill Lacey. And uh, he's laying back. He's got his hat over his face, and he's snoring. And at first, you know, I was like, well, why isn't he more concerned? Well, doesn't he know what's going on? And then I realized Bill Lacey is an amateur pilot. He's got a plane. He flies every weekend. He's been through storms before. He knows it's no big deal. He knows the captain's got it under control. See, we're all panicking in the storm and he's able to sleep because he knows something the rest of us don't. You know people like that? People that can sleep through anything? People that can sleep through a hurricane? My grandpa Fletcher is like that. I remember um, I was uh, real little, and we went to um, the uh, the children's museum. And at the children's museum, they had this IMAX movie, and the IMAX movie was Storm Chasers. And you know, it's got that big, huge screen. You feel like you're there. There's the surround sound all around you, and uh, we're with these storm chasers, and they're uh, literally going into a hurricane. And we look over at Grandpa Fletcher and he's snoring and sleeping. Right? Some people are like that. They can just sleep through just about anything. And some people are really good at sleeping through life's storms, aren't they? I don't mean a negative way, like they're not paying attention to what's going on, like, like they're just acting like nothing's going wrong. But there are some people that are able to like hold on to that peace that are able to hold on to that quiet, that stillness. There are some people that when they face life storms, they manage to remain at peace. When the squall comes, how do they do it? It's like they know something the rest of us don't know. It's like they've got access to something the rest of us don't quite have access to. Two, I say this because I know many of us are going through storms right now. Many of us have come here this morning seeking shelter from the storm that is going on in our life right now. Some of them are outward storms like, like sickness and, 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 and financial pressure and broken relationships and, and, and adversity. But some of them are inward storms. 
grief, addiction, self-doubt, depression, regret. This morning, if you're in the midst of a storm, if the waves seem too high for you, if you can feel the icy water stinging your face, if you can hear the howling of the wind, and you're wondering if you're going to make it out, you're wondering if your tiny boat is going to be overturned. This morning, if you are facing a storm in your life, then you are in the same boat as the disciples. See, the disciples found themselves in the midst of a terrible storm. A furious squall, Mark says. See, the Sea of Galilee that we call a sea is really a lake. And it's a lake in the middle of the desert. And so it's very hot and humid. But there are these narrow mountain passes where the, uh, the, the, the cool air from the Mediterranean Sea is, is drawn in through these passages. And, and they, 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 the, the cool air from the Mediterranean uh, hits the hot air uh, from, the, uh, from the Sea of Galilee. And there are these sudden and violent storms that show up out of nowhere. And the disciples are in the middle of one of these sudden storms. These, uh, these stem winders. And their boats. I mean, this isn't the Mayflower we're talking about. They're in these little, uh, these Galilean fishing boats, probably about 27 feet long. They're made from cedar planks. There's enough space for four men to row. And they're covered up with, uh, and repaired with, with scrap wood. These boats, we're not talking about the Mayflower. We're talking about these little tiny boats and they can fill up fast. And we're told that that the disciples are swamped. This is all to say they're not being dramatic. They really are afraid they're about to die. They're really afraid this storm is going to take them under. And they look to their fearless leader. And he's asleep on a cushion. So they wake Jesus up. They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, what they're asking is not, Jesus, don't you love, enough, love us enough to care about what's going on in our lives? Right? Um, that is a tempting way to read that. And you could preach a whole sermon about how, how God cares about what's going on in our life. But that's not what they're saying. They're saying, hey, we're all about to die. Why are you being so chill? Why are you being so chill? Why aren't you sleeping when we're all going to die? You should be more concerned about this. Right? What does Jesus do? It says he gets up, but that's not, that's not quite it. In the Greek, it says he raises himself up. That's very intentional. Think about it theologically. He raises himself up against the storm, against the howling wind, against the icy rain. And he says, silence, be still. And then the sea is flat. 
the air is dry. And there's only a sound of silence. The disciples see this. It doesn't say, and the disciples were relieved. It says the disciples were terrified. In Greek, they feared a great fear. (laughs) They were terrified. And they said to one another, Who is this? Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? See, the disciples don't know who Jesus is. I mean, not really. See, we're four chapters into the book of Mark, and they know everything about Jesus that they need to know. Right? They've heard his parables. They know he's a wise teacher. They, they, they've seen him uh, perform healings and, and drive out demons. They know he is powerful. They, 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 he has supernatural abilities. They, they've, uh, they've seen him smile on the unclean and, and stoop down to meet their needs. They know he is compassionate. They, 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 they've heard him be called the Messiah, the Son of Man. They know he has a, a, a special God-given purpose in the world. See, they know everything they need to know about Jesus. And yet, they don't know Jesus. Why are you so afraid, he says? Do you still not trust Do you still not trust me? That's what faith means, by the way, trust. Do you still have no faith? Do you still not trust me? See, they know everything they need to know about who Jesus is. But they don't know him. At least not enough to trust him. See, there's a big difference between knowing about Jesus And knowing Jesus. The disciples knew everything they knew needed to know about Jesus. But they didn't yet trust him. I was listening to the radio. It was one of these uh, calling advice kind of shows. uh, Where uh, people were calling into this lady for advice. And she was helping them sort of uh, with their love lives. And, um, and one of the things she said that really like stuck uh, in my brain is she said, you know, you know everything you need to know about someone on the first date. There's some truth to that, right? We learn a lot. Maybe it's not the first date, but very early on we learn everything we need to know about someone, Right? What they're like, what their values are. Are, are, are they honest? Are they polite? Um, are, are, you know, uh, do they care about you? Are they kind? Right? We, very early on, we know everything we need to know about someone. I can't tell you how many of my friends that, you know, after a, a, a bad breakup, they say the same thing. They say, I should have known. It was all there from the start. 
right? I should have seen it the first day. It was all there from the start. That begs the question, why have second dates? If you know everything you need to know, why not decide after the first date? Are we going to break up or are we going to get married? Seems like it would save a lot of time. It would be more efficient. But there's a difference between knowing everything you need to know and having that relationship of trust, isn't there? There's a difference between having all the information you need to have about someone up here and knowing them here in your heart. And so the disciples, they're still on that first date, right? They know everything they need to know about Jesus, but they're just not ready yet to surrender their hearts. And this morning I wonder if you're in the same boat as the disciples, You're going through these storms of your own. You're you're facing the walls of water. You're, you're, You're wondering if your boat is going to fill up. It's up to your neck and you're scared you're going to drown. You're scared you're going to be pulled under. And still there's a part of you asking, who is this? Who is this in the boat of life with me? I'm not saying you're not saved. That's not what this is about. I'm not saying you don't go to church. I'm not saying you don't pray and read your Bible. But there's a part of you that just has not surrendered your whole heart to Jesus and trusting him. There's a part of you that still lives under the illusion that you're in control of your own boat. And your own ship and your own destiny. That somehow you can silence the storms on your own. There's some of you that still need to make that prayer of trust. One of my favorite prayers of trust is, uh, well, President John F. Kennedy had on his desk in the Oval Office this little wooden plaque. And uh, it was given to him by uh, an admiral in the Navy. And it read, Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. This is a a Breton fisherman's prayer. See, uh, the the ancient Britons, when, when when the fishermen were going out to sea and they were taking their tiny boats into the sea and they, they didn't know what was going to await them there, where there are going to be storms, where there are going to be dragons. They didn't know. And so they'd say this quick prayer before they launched their boats out in the sea. Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. I kind of picture John F. Kennedy there uh, sitting at his desk during the Cuban Missile Crisis. He's gotten all the good advice he can get, but now he has to make a decision. Right? Launch a missile or stand down. Right? And, uh, and, and, and I picture him looking at that plaque and realizing, even though he's the most uh, important man in the entire country, he's still a small boat in a great sea. Of troubles. What is your prayer of trust this morning? 
Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. Those people, those ones that that, that, that are able to hold on to the peace during the storm, that are able to hold on to that stillness, that quiet, that peace that passeth all understanding, those people, they don't know anything more than you know. They don't know anything more than you know. They don't know where that money that they need is going to come from. They don't know if the cancer is going to be reversed. They don't know if the pain and grief is going to be more manageable tomorrow. They don't know if nuclear war is going to be starting on Twitter tonight. They don't know any of that. They don't know anything that you don't know in your own storm, in your own uncertain time. What they do know is a person, Jesus Christ. What they do know is Jesus and his love and his peace. What they do know is that no matter how great the sea and how small the boat, that God is greater still. They know in their bones the truth of that unshakable promise that, that the Apostle Paul uh, articulated in, in the 8th chapter of Romans. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. They know that Christ is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 behind. Who that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death is with us. That his rod and his staff comfort us. They know that when they face the storms of life, whatever that is, when the water seems tall, when the sea seems so great, that Jesus raises himself up against the howling wind, and says, silence, be still. Do you know? Do you know? Not up here, in here. Do you trust? Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer uh, during the late 1800s in Chicago. Um, He was a devout man of faith, but he wasn't spared the trials of life. Um, 1871, um, his youngest son dies of pneumonia. Horatio Spafford has a wife named Anna, four girls, and one son. And the son dies at a very early age of pneumonia. That same year, he loses his business in the Chicago fire. Two years later, the Spaffords, they've sort of built their lives back up. Uh, they've started their business all over again. They've gone through the stages of grief with their son. In 1873, they decide, we need a change of scenery. We're going on a European vacation. So they make all these plans, and um, like life does, um, right before they're supposed to leave, 
Spafford has some business come up that he has to take care of. So he sends the family ahead. Um, I'll only be a week or two. I need to take care of all of this, and then I will come join you. And so uh, Anna and the four girls uh, uh, are, are aboard a ship called the Vildehav. And um, five days into the journey, the ship collides with a Scottish ship called the Loch Urn. It's one of these big vessels with an iron hull. It only t- takes 12 minutes and the Ville de Havre is underwater. A couple of days later, Spafford receives a telegram. It says, saved alone, what shall I do? See, his wife Anna was the sole survivor. A uh, sailor in a rowboat found her body and, and, and was able to rescue her. All four girls died beneath the waters. So Horatio Spafford he quits everything. He ties up all his loose ends and he, he gets on the first ship so he can go uh, be with his wife in Cardiff. Five days into the journey... Uh, the captain calls him out on deck and said, I thought you'd want to know. This is where the girls drowned. And so Spafford spent a couple moments in silence there. And then he goes into his cabin. And there by the candlelight, he gets a sheet of paper and begins to write a poem. When peace like a river attendeth my way, and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Is it well? with your soul this morning? If you're facing your own storm this morning, if it seems like the sea is so great and your boat is so small, if the sorrows like sea billows are rolling this morning, I beg of you, Look to the one who raises himself up against the howling wind, against the the, the towering waves, against the icy rain, and says, Quiet, be still, and know him. His name is Jesus, and even the wind and the waves obey him. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.